Welcome to the VML Voice, the official podcast of the Virginia Municipal League. I'm your host, Rob Bullington. In this episode... It's hurricane season, Virginia! Time to get ready. To help localities prepare for the 2021 season, I asked Aaron Sutton, the Chief Deputy State Coordinator of Emergency Management for the Virginia Department of Emergency Management, to give me a call. She uh, had to push our appointment because she got looped into a session about Tropical Storm Elsa, which is, as I record this, making its way to Florida. She's uh, supposed to call me any minute, though. Hi, Rob. This is Aaron Sutton from the Virginia Department of Emergency Management. Aaron, thank you so much for calling me. I really appreciate your time. I know you're super busy these days. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks for being flexible today. Let's just kick off. You want to introduce yourself? My name is Aaron Sutton. I am the Chief Deputy State Coordinator for the Virginia Department of Emergency Management. And I want to congratulate you on having an excellent phone signal on today's call. I have worked very hard to get that. (laughs) I guess in emergency management, you have to make sure you can hear each other. That's pretty key. Yep. Now, uh, before we jump into sort of the nuts and bolts, uh, I just want to hit a couple little items of background here. Um, I saw that you were appointed by Governor Northam uh, to your current position. It looked like it was October of last year, 2020. Yes. Just, you know, my immediate takeaway there is that's a super crazy time to be starting a new job and a particularly crazy time for emergency management, what with there being a state of emergency and whatnot at the time. What was that like, jumping into the deep end? Uh, Yes, it was was definitely a a challenge to start a new position in COVID um, first, because I still have yet to meet about two-thirds of my staff (laughs) face-to-face. Um, it also, yes, to add to it, I was the director of emergency management for the city of Virginia beach. So to go to my city manager and say, I'm going to transition out of local to the state, um, was a, was a, a a tough conversation. Um, but, uh, it's been a, a good change. Um, My background, I used to work for the health department in Virginia Beach. So as I stepped into my role at the state in October, I immediately was pushed right into um, COVID and working very closely with the health department. At the same time, I read, so with all that going on, that you are not only the second woman in VDEM's history to hold the position of chief deputy, but you are also the first to have come from local government. Yes. And while I extend hearty appreciation for both achievements, I'm particularly interested in what it's been like to come from local government into that role. I mean, did you hit the ground with the certain advantages or disadvantages that your predecessor who or predecessors who lacked a background in local government may not have had? So it it definitely I think um, it it's an it's a, an interesting line that I stand on in um, making sure that uh, having been on on the local side and, and working with the Virginia Department of Emergency Management and some of the challenges that we've had over the years as locals, you know, taking that kind of with me, moving into the position to, okay, how can we kind of shift this around? But also being a representative of the state, I definitely saw kind of behind the curtains to understand why some um, decisions or postures were that way, you know, from the local lens. So it definitely gave me an advantage to kind of see both sides. 
Um, but I have gotten a lot of positive feedback in the meetings that I attend, um, whether at, you know, whether it's a VDEM being represented at the local level, regional level, or, or in a state meeting, because I do tend to, you know, I under kind of that, I understand what you're saying, but if you think about it through a local lens, these are the particular issues you need to think about. So I think that provides a, uh, uh, definitely a view that I think is positive for VDEM. Um, and, you know, my locals uh, obviously really appreciate it. I think it has helped for those in the Virginia Department of Emergency Management who haven't worked at the local level to kind of see that other side of the coin. So I think it's been positive overall. Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised when I read that. I mean, I guess, well, doing what I do, everything is about local government. So I was shocked that <laughs> <laughs> that, that nobody with that experience had been in that role before. Um, but I guess very grateful that we do have somebody that has that experience <laughs> in that role now. So, okay, enough about you. Um, let's, oh, yeah. let, let, let's talk hurricanes. Um, okay. that, it's that time of the year. Um, Virginians yeah. have a heightened awareness around tropical storms and hurricanes. In fact, um, we had to put off this call a little bit because even though it's a sunny day in Richmond, much of the southeast is keeping tabs on tropical storm Elsa headed up the coast. Um, What's going on with that? We'll get some current news first off. Okay, I know that by the time this airs, Hurricane slash Tropical Storm Elsa will be a thing of the past. But let's listen in and hear what Aaron hears when we're getting ready for one of these kind of events. So we just got the latest um, prior to uh, this call. I was on the uh, Virginia Port call, um, which helps kind of determine the conditions of the port. The captain of the port, which is uh, Captain Stevens with the Coast Guard, he gets everybody on, all the stakeholders on to understand kind of concerns, uh, what the conditions may be. Um, and so we do get a briefing from the National Weather Service as well. And uh, looks to be that the storm will, will probably hit hurricane status again before it comes ashore in Florida. Um, and it has a little bit more inland track. So we will probably, the Hampton Roads region is probably going to see um, some, some pretty windy conditions. Um, uh, they've reduced the rain totals um, and still kind of sitting at a minor to moderate coastal floods. So the good thing is Elsa is a small storm and moving fairly quickly versus some of the others that we've seen, uh, you know, spread from Florida to to New York, like Sandy, and move kind of lumber along. So um, I think this will, we'll probably look at some impacts kind of Thursday, noon, uh, noonish time frame in the Hampton Roads region. um, And then it will move off, off the coast pretty quickly. All right. Well, that's good news because my band has an outdoor gig on Saturday. Oh, well, you'll be perfect. It'll be beautiful. Okay. I've got you on tape to that effect. If, if it goes south, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have some angry, angry musicians on the phone with you. For the record, the Saturday evening following Elsa was absolutely gorgeous. The gig went well. Thanks for that, Aaron. Um, so that that's how you're preparing for this particular event. But um, in general, how does um, VDEM prepare for an upcoming hurricane season, um, which I guess is underway now? Yeah. So we as an agency um, look at, I mean, we, we prepare for all hazards 365 days uh, a year. Obviously with COVID um, and, and VDEM having a very active role this year, it was, it was a little bit more of a challenge, but we always had 
folks in the background continuing to update our plans, continue to provide ongoing training, um, and and making sure that that folks are still keeping an eye. So, you know, we work to get our entire Virginia emergency support team uh, trained and ready to respond. Uh, the emergency support team is is that team that runs the emergency operations center during an activation and helps coordinate with all those state agencies. And I mean, ultimately, as you said, everything is local. The whole goal of the emergency support team is to support the 133 uh, localities across the uh, Commonwealth. So we always can we we always are in a state of readiness. Um, we kind of look towards the. Um, the issuance of the hurricane season, you know, what's it going to be? You know, this year they said, you know, 70% likelihood of 13 to 20 named storms, six to 10 could be hurricanes, three to five of a major. If you look back, that's pretty much what the forecast looks like for the last several years. Um, and at the end of the day, it only takes one. Um, but we, you know, reconnect. Um, we have the an advantage during COVID is we are we have been very connected with our stakeholders. Uh, the disadvantage is trying to shift that conversation. Say, okay, I know you know COVID's going on, but but we need to take out a little bit of time and talk about where you are with your hurricane readiness. So that happens at the local, state, tribal, federal levels. We've had, we've had a couple of meetings with with FEMA Region Three in preparation for hurricane season, but we also include our private nonprofits as well. So making sure that we're connecting with all of them. It, Definitely this year, it was a little bit more of a challenge to to shift to that conversation. And we were a little delayed in, in getting to that. But uh, but we've definitely been um, working towards that. Since you brought up COVID, what unique challenges related to COVID still exist this year? So one of our biggest challenges last year was this the, the non-congregate sheltering. So if we had to open shelters, you know, because we didn't have a vaccine, we needed to make preparations for social distancing, mask mitigation, um, mitigation uh, opportunities for folks. But we were also looking at hotels in order to to answer that. This year, the, the non-congregate sheltering order from FEMA has been lifted, so um, we can move back to congregate sheltering, but we do still have people that are not vaccinated. Um, and we do have uh, the younger population that can't be vaccinated. So we're still going to have, if we have to open shelters, still going to have, um, uh, you know, recommendations of masks and social distancing and and keeping a lot of those um, protocols that we put in place last year if we had to open congregate shelters uh, for this year as well, because we're still going to have that that challenge of, of uh, those that are not vaccinated. Uh, so all of our shelter kits and everything, all our shelter teams are prepared with masks and cleaning, uh, cleaning things and, and um, we'll continue to, to move forward and planning for um, that indication with uh, the lack of, um, of vaccinations for some folks. What should localities be doing now to get ready for the peak part of the season? For, for Virginia, obviously our 
peak season really starts kind of um, mid mid August. Um, although we are already on um, E, uh, which is the earliest um, E storm that we've had in in uh, in the recorded history. Which um, is you know we tend to continue to do that each hurricane season, hit new and new benchmarks, which is not. Not overly exciting, but <laughs> um, but um, localities at this point, much like the state has been doing, should be meeting with their partners, um, meeting uh, in a lot of localities, their, their human services or social services are their key partners in sheltering and really talking through how they're, what their sheltering is going to look like and making sure that they have the, the supplies and the infrastructure in place to support that social distancing. Because if they're going to utilize that in a shelter, um, it may decrease the, their capacity in that particular shelter. And when we were looking at that last year, uh, when I was in uh, Virginia Beach, um, it definitely changed. Okay, these are the key, you know, primary shelters that were open. Well, that list became a little bit longer, because we needed a bit more capacity uh, available if we had to open the shelters. Um, Really preparing their teams to the Virginia Emergency Operations Center. as of June 30th, which was the end of the executive order, had been activated for 496 days. A lot of our localities have had their emergency operations centers activated for the same amount of time, and they're tired, and they've had transition, and um, they're and getting uh, localities to pivot and talk about the next disaster is is definitely challenging. One of the things that we've done here in um, in VDEM is a lot of folks are taking some leave right now. You know, we have left enough people to keep the lights on and and address issues as they occur, but. Um, really making sure that they're taking a look at their teams, uh, their emergency operation teams, uh, because if we're on Tropical Storm Elsa, we're probably in for a busy season. So you want to make sure the locals are going to want to make sure that their their teams are ready. And as we at the state are thinking through that, we know that our locals are going to be tired as well and may not have all of their preparations in place that, as they would like because they have been dealing with, with COVID um, or maybe short staffed. So that's an extra planning piece that we have talked about up at, uh, in, in uh, VDEM as well. So meeting with their stakeholders, connecting, again, with their private nonprofit entities is really important um, because they can provide so many, uh, so much support after a disaster um, that uh, you want to make sure that you're not trading business cards on the day of the event. Uh, So a lot of, you know, it's not very exciting, but a lot of what's going on or what should be going on at the local governments right now is the, um, is the handshaking and, and the trading of information um, and, and checklists with plans, making sure that folks are oriented with it Um, and actually briefing city councils, um, commissions, um, you know, county, county boards, uh, just so they are up to speed on, on where things stand for, for this particular hurricane season. It's not smart to exchange business cards with 96 mile per hour sustained winds is what you're saying. Yes. 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 <laughs> Makes things challenging. <laughs> you sort of answered my next question, but I want to sort of dig into it a little bit. I was going to ask you about um, who should localities be making contact with and partnering with 
as we get into hurricane season. And you had mentioned social services and some private nonprofit groups and their emergency management teams, a lot of whom, as you mentioned, have been sort of on 24-7 emergency call for a long time now. So what resources can VDEM bring to localities or provide to localities um, to sort of help make all that easier or maybe less of a lift? So um, logistics-wise, we we provide a lot of the support um, and can provide the support for, for localities. You know, we've been um, purchasing PPE and cleaning supplies over the years, and, and we don't want localities to kind of stress out and try and scramble to, to have that for hurricane season. So logistics is definitely one area that, that we can provide support. Um, talking through evacuation messaging too, um, you know, a, a lot of that guidance comes out from the governor's office, and and you know, Florence was a bit of a challenge. Wearing my locals hat was a bit of a challenge um, in the guidance that came out of the governor's office. Um, tweaked a little bit for Dorian and provided a little bit more support. Uh, so one thing that VDM, uh tries to do is to be that intermediary when, when the governor provides guidance um, that may not be overly clear to our locals. We can um, help provide some of that um, uh, additional, you know, FAQs or additional information or, or things to think about. Um, one of the challenges we have with evacuation in the new evacuation zones um, is that uh, in Florence, when issued the mandatory A and B, didn't quite think through the ramifications of those that have vertical evacuation. So we have large um, so in Virginia Beach, Westminster Canterbury, very large facility that faces the Chesapeake Bay. And over the years, we've planned and, and put together a good plan so that we're not trying to evacuate 1,200 um, elderly individuals. Um, and and so when a mandatory evacuation issued from the governor, um, where does that leave the locality? Do they need to find, you know, support the governor and say, everybody get out? Is there a, uh, uh, an availability of the local government to coordinate with, with private sector um, entities and, and because it happened with the military as well, so DOD, to identify the best approach for evacuation? So VDEM can pro help provide some guidance with that. Um, I think the other thing is helping them connect to resources. Uh, so we interact with the de Department of Social Services. So if they're having some challenges at the local level in, in contacting or finding the right person to talk through sheltering, we can help make those connections. Um, and uh, also with our voluntary organizations active in disaster, so VOAD, um, we can help connect uh, some key representatives from from some of our bigger organizations um, like um, the United Methodist uh, Active in Disasters and and uh, Team Rubicon and kind of those 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 bigger organizations were a conduit to help uh, make the connections locally or regionally um, so that they have those again trading those business cards beforehand and not uh, not during or after the disaster. And what, what is VDEM doing to uh, ensure an equitable disaster response and recovery? 
So for us, you know, we've been working on this quite, uh, quite significantly as it's a very significant priority for, for um, State Coordinator Brown and myself uh, and the organization. You know, we've all of these disasters, we, we look at how we have responded in the past um, and how we can provide the right level of support um, to the locality. So, uh, you know, we always, and he loves to use Virginia Beach as an example, <laughs> I think just for me, <laughs> um, utilizing Virginia Beach, that's not a, a locality that needs an abundance of VDEM resources. Um, and so VDEM being very thoughtful and working through uh, the best um, use of resources. So something like a Lancaster County um, being affected by a storm, they're going to require additional um, resources by, from VDEM because they have an emergency manager that does that, plus he's the EMS chief, plus he's the state fire marshal, you know, all of these pieces, they wear multiple hats. And so over the last year with COVID, we had the opportunity to work through um, equity and vulnerability studies to really identify kind of our top 40 localities and, and where their gaps may be. And, and uh, we do another uh, annual survey that's required by code called the LCAR, the Local um, Capability Assessment Report. So that tells us if they have, you know, one full-time emergency manager or a, you know, emergency manager that's other duties as assigned. And so that really helps provide us guidance as to the, the key localities that will need help just because they don't have dedicated emergency management staff. And then over the last year and a half that we've been working with our health equity um, work group and, and teams throughout the, the testing and vaccinations, we've identified those additional um, localities where, that are underserved um, and communities of color and Latino, Hispanic that we can um, make sure are getting the support that they need um, because, you know, post-disaster, if it is declared and there is funding available, and I'm sure you've seen some of the articles of late, you know, the FEMA programs are not made for uh, vulnerable, low-income, uh, vulnerable populations, low-income populations. And so one of the big pushes uh, from Curtis and myself is that we identify these communities and make sure that we are pushing forth the, the additional support that they would need to maybe um, have technical assistance in, in applying for grants or technical assistance and guidance on how they can um, uh, mitigate areas uh, that could lessen the impact of a disaster. So it sounds like a lot of part of it there is just um, not a one-size-fits-all thing, but actually figuring out who needs the most help and then allocating resources accordingly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Aaron, before before I let you go, I was, I'm was i going to put you on the spot a little bit. We're going to have just a little bit of fun before we, before we sign off here. I got a little a little quiz for you, a little Hurricane uh -huh. Quiz show action here. All right. You ready? Uh-oh. We'll, we'll, st we'll start off with an easy one. What is the most destructive part of a hurricane called? Is it A, the knee wall? B, the eye wall, C, the elbow wall, or D, the wonder wall? That would be the eye wall. <laughs> excellent. Excellent work. You're off and running. All right, so here we go. You're in a bar. You order a hurricane from the bartender. Which of the following will they need to mix together? Gin, tonic, and lime? Rum, lemon juice, and passion fruit syrup? Or C, 
whiskey, sweet vermouth, and bitters. I'm going to have to go with the rum. Good. Fun fact, uh, I found out that that drink was created at Pat O'Brien's Bar in New Orleans during World War II when whiskey was hard to come by. And the name for the drink comes from the glass it's served in that resembles a hurricane lamp. And another fun fact, that at Pat O'Brien's, which makes amazing hurricanes, is also where my grandparents got engaged. No kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's fantastic. <laughs> was that before yep. or after the hurricane was invented? The drink. Uh, it, it was after. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yep. the, the pieces are all coming together now. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it was meant to be for me to deal with hurricanes. I was going to say, if not for the hurricane drink, you might not be talking to anybody mm -hmm. today, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Next question. In which direction do hurricanes rotate? A, counterclockwise. B, clockwise. C, alternating directions depending on the day of the week. Or D, they don't actually rotate. It's just an optical illusion. So <laughs> I always get this wrong um, and have been called out several times, but I believe is counterclockwise. Yes, you got it. Okay. All right. Three for three. Wow. All right. No wonder you're in charge over there. Okay. What was the name of the most destructive hurricane in the history of Virginia? Was it A, Camille, which was in August 1969? B, Charlie, which was in August 1986, C, Eloise, in September 1975, or D, Barbara, August 1953? That would be Camille. Yes, another correct answer. <laughs> in fact, according to what I read, Camille became Virginia's worst natural disaster ever in 1969. I wonder if that's still true. I don't know if that record still holds. Yes, and do you know which county it affected the most? No, I don't. You have to tell me. Nelson County. Nelson County. There you go. I'm making a note of that right now. I'm going to call all my friends in Nelson and tell them. <laughs> don't name your daughter Camille. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, here we go. What percentage of hurricanes that occur in the United States hit Florida? A, 90%. B, 15%. C, 40%. Or D, 102%. percent <laughs> Um, being next to North Carolina, I would say not 90 or 100. <laughs> um, I'm going to say 40%. Yes, another correct answer. <laughs> was that just because it was C and you're always told to guess C if you don't really know the answer? <laughs> well, I thought 15% was a little mm -hmm, low, mm -hmm. but North Carolina takes a brunt of hurricanes, so um, I needed a middle ground. <laughs> right, right. That's good reasoning. Good reasoning. <laughs> All right, here, here's an easy one. All right, hurricanes are classified into categories based on their wind speeds and potential to cause damage. How many categories are there? Two, three, four, or five? There are five. Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, Cena, I, I put that one in there specifically so you'd be able to get one right if you missed all the others and make it oh, look good. Oh, hey. But you're already. <laughs> all right. All right. Here we, here's, here's a tough one. Which of the following is not a real song? Rock You Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. Like a Hurricane by Neil Young. Herma Herma Hurricane by Chubby Checker. Or Hurricane by Bob Dylan. Which is not a real song? Ooh, this is tough. I'm going to say C. Herma Herma Hurricane by Chubby Checker? Yeah. Yes. You can twist because you got it right. 
There you go. See, Chubby Checker never recorded a song called Herma Herma Hurricane. I made it up. And I heard the other ones, so yeah, yeah, except exactly. for Bob Dylan's. I hadn't heard Bob Dylan's. Well, Bob Dylan's is actually like a – it's a fantastic song, but it's an eight-minute story of Reuben Carter, who's a boxer nicknamed the Hurricane, who was framed and put in jail for a crime he didn't commit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see here. Where did the word hurricane come from? Is it named for a Caribbean Indian god of evil? Or B, is it derived from a nautical term for a strong wind used by early Spanish explorers? C, a Greek term that referred to the circular motion created by a whirlpool? Or D, none of the above? Um, D, none of the above? Sorry. It is, in fact, named for the Caribbean Indian god of evil, um, whose name was, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Huracan, and it uh, comes from the Taino, the indigenous people of the Caribbean and Florida. Really? There you go. Yeah. There's my fun fact for the day. And I'm going to give myself a little credit there because I, I was pretty proud of how I phrased the other answers because I thought they were all equally plausible. But uh, They were. That's yeah. why I Thank kind you. of went with D. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. We're getting towards the end here. Just two more. Uh-huh. What speed do a tropical cyclone's maximum sustained winds need to reach for meteorologists to classify it as a hurricane? A, 28 miles per hour. B, 100 miles per hour. C, 74 miles per hour. Or D, 89 miles per hour. That would be C, 74 miles an hour. She knows her stuff. See, it is. <laughs> All right, last question. Here we go. The National Hurricane Center began giving official names to storms in 1953. Until 1978, what gender were all hurricanes? A, they were all male. B, they were all female. Or C, they used names that could be male or female. They were... Hmm. Let's see here. So they started naming the storms in 1953, but until 1978, what gender were all hurricanes? I'm going to say female. Yes, that is correct. B, they were all females. In fact, names can be retired if a hurricane has been really big and destructive. So retired names so far include Katrina, Andrew, Mitch, and most recently Sandy. No hurricane errands though so far. So uh, well, Aaron has actually been retired because really? I destroyed I destroyed Pensacola. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's all coming together. Grandparents married in New Orleans after the go. drink is invented. Aaron destroys Pensacola. Yep, there you go. Hey, thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. Blowing like a hummer, 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 hummer came From the bottom of Florida to the very top of Maine Look at the Jimmy Shoot, gonna do you the same Hummer, 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 hummer Okay, enough of that nonsense. We had a little bit of fun there. But even though it goes without saying, I'll say it anyway, since I have this nifty microphone. Hurricanes are dangerous and should be taken seriously. 
Stay safe, Virginia. And that concludes this episode of the VML Voice. I want to thank Aaron Sutton from the Virginia Department of Emergency Management for being my guest today, and our sponsors, Dominion Energy and Virginia Housing. If you would like to become a sponsor or have an idea for an episode, get in touch with me, Rob Bullington, at rbullington at vml.org. We'll be back again soon-ish with another episode in which we explore a different locality or issue with the focus always on Virginia and the local governments that make the Commonwealth work for everyone. And now, for this episode's VML Voice of Reason. You want to make sure that you're not trading business cards on the day of the event.